the summer of 1989, I was 16 and my brother was turning 15 and he had all his friends over. There's about 12 of them in our basement. They were celebrating his birthday and I was given the task and responsibility of going to rent a movie that him and all his friends would enjoy. And so I took this task very seriously. And I went to the local video store and I rented The Grinch Who Stole Christmas because I thought that would be funny. And I came back and I showed my brother with that loving, compassionate, mischievous smile on my face. Look what I rented you and your friends. I know you had given me lots of suggestions, but then I saw this movie and thought, this is it. This screams 15-year-old party time. And my brother was furious. I mean, there were many occasions in my life where my brother was angry at me. I have to tell you the wagon wheel story sometime, but that will be for another occasion. But he was furious. He was so angry. He had given me a task. He, he had even given me those pleading eyes. Don't do one of your funny things that you think is funny, but yet I did. And he said to me, what does Christmas have to do with my birthday? What does Christmas have to do with August and summertime and me and my friends? It's a good question. My brother is much older now. I'm sure he hasn't forgotten that story. My brother is a professor of political science, and he is agnostic or atheist. I'm not sure which one, but he still asks that question. What does Christmas have to do with me? What does Christmas have to do with my life, my friends, my family? That's a good question. What does Christmas have to do with real life, right? Well, today I want to share with you two tales of one city. Now, many of you have heard of Charles Dickens' story, A Tale of Two Cities. Yeah. Well, this morning I'm going to share with you two tales of one city. Now, it's, it's more of a town, really, than a city. A small town, actually. The little town of Bethlehem. And two huge events happened in this little town of Bethlehem that not only had a significant impact on the community of Bethlehem itself, but these two events, these two stories, when held together, open up a much deeper meaning of Advent and Christmas that I think sheds light on the answer to that question. What does Christmas really have to do with us in real life? So the first big event that happens in Bethlehem is Advent. Now the word Advent means arrival. So in the Christian season of Advent, we are anticipating and longing for and praying for the Advent, the arrival of the Messiah, the long-awaited Jewish Messiah. And so this event happens in Bethlehem, the Advent, the arrival of the Messiah. And this Advent, the arrival of the Messiah, is, is announced beforehand to a group of lowly shepherds on the outskirts of town watching their flocks by night. And one of the things I've noticed in spending time in Scripture through the biblical narrative is that God's message and the new movements of God usually start with people on the outskirts, people on the fringe, people on the margins. In fact, the people who are closest to the middle, the center of the religious and cultural convention tend to resist and reject because we have the most to lose. Because what that means is we're no longer at the center. <laughs> the center has shifted. 
It's over here on the outskirts and the margins. And that's very difficult for those of us who are in the center to navigate through. So these shepherds are on the outskirts of town, and, and an angel comes. An angel appears. This is the first story. An angel appears in Luke chapter 2 and says this, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, Bethlehem, a Savior who is Messiah the Lord. And then a bunch of angels join in. A whole choir of angels appears and they begin singing this song, Glory to God in the highest. Peace on earth. Goodwill toward humanity. And the shepherds immediately race into town, into Bethlehem, to see what the angels were talking about, to see this advent of the Messiah, the arrival of the Messiah. And then they go and they share this news with everyone they know. Now, if you've ever lived in a small town, I'm talking even smaller than Stratford, you know how quickly news spreads, right? I mean, historians estimate that Bethlehem, at this point, there's probably between 300 and 800 people living. That's a small town. That's a village, really, right? Has anyone lived in a, in a town about 300 to 800 people? Yeah, how many secrets do you have, right? You, you don't. So news spread very quickly. Now, not everyone believed these angels, I mean, the, uh, that the angels had visited the shepherds, but everybody knew about it. Everybody heard about it, and soon the, the whole town was abuzz with this news. Hey, angels are so allegedly appeared to these shepherds and proclaimed the Messiah has come and peace on earth. Okay, that's the first story. The second story happens soon after. It's about a year and a half. Another event happens that, that not only significantly impacts the city of Bethlehem, the town of Bethlehem, but again, when held together, these two stories open us up to a deeper and more profound meaning of Advent and Christmas. We read about the second event in Matthew chapter 2, verse 16 to 18. King Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance. And Herod's brutal action fulfilled what God had spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A cry was heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning. Rachel weeps for her children, refusing to be comforted, for they are dead. You can imagine how deeply that impacted the community of Bethlehem especially in light of what had just happened you know, a year and a half earlier. These angels had appeared and announced, hey, good news, peace on earth. And now this little town of Bethlehem was terrorized by these Roman soldiers, plunged into unthinkable pain, anguish, suffering, the worst kind of sorrow imaginable. Historians say there were probably around 20 male children who were killed in this incident, which has become known as the Massacre of the Holy Innocents or the Slaughter of the Innocents. 20 children. A town doesn't get over that, right? A community, how long does it take to heal from that? Seven years ago, two weeks before Christmas, 
As I was preparing an Advent sermon, news came of the Newtown Sandy Hook school shooting. Twenty children slaughtered, killed. Same number. And that not only rocked that immediate community, I mean that rocked the whole world. How many people felt that? I mean, deeply. That's what we're talking about here. And I can only imagine the, the, the people in Bethlehem who had heard about this story of angels appearing. Hey, great news, peace on earth. Some of them maybe even believed it. And then they're experiencing the worst tragedy, the most violent act that a town could experience. And how many of them are wondering, peace on earth? Is this what peace on earth looks like? I think of that carol. I heard the bells on Christmas Day. And in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Now, some of you are wondering, why is he talking about this horrible tragedy on the most momentous occasion and joyous occasion of the year, Christmas time? Why is he raining on our Christmas parade? It's a good question. And I thought long and hard about doing this. Here's why. It's interesting when you look at the church liturgical year, the church calendar. They mark out the significant events that we are to reflect on as a part of our own spiritual journey. The first event that the church calendar marks after Christmas is this event, the slaughter of the innocents. And not only did the early church think it's important that we remember this event, but it's also important that we hold it close to Christmas. It's, it, the Feast of the Holy Innocents is three days after Christmas, December 28th. And I believe there's intention there because it's only as we hold these two events together that we open up to the deeper and more profound meaning of Advent and Christmas. You see, we have this tendency... All of us have this tendency to Photoshop and censor the Christmas story. We want our silent, holy night. Peace, tranquil, serene nativity scene where Jesus is in the manger. No crying he makes. He's not a normal baby. And there are the cattle and the sheep just bowing before the newborn king. And Mary's totally fine. I mean, she hasn't just given birth. She's got a glass of wine, just, or whatever. I don't, what nativity scene did I grow up with? Okay. We want this bizarre fantasy image because that makes us get the tinglys. Our own nostalgic, sentimental Christmas. Because that's what's really important. Many Christians around this time of year start um, getting really insistent that we keep Christ in Christmas. We've got to keep Christ in Christmas. And you'll get no arguments from me. I mean, that makes sense. That stands to reason. Keep Christ in Christmas. Yep. Um, to me, it makes about as much sense as we've got to keep hockey in hockey. Yep. Sure. Yep. Whatever you say. Um, so yes, let's keep Christ in Christmas. I would agree with that. But there's, there's a reverend named... Joy Carol Wallace, and she wrote this message called, We Also Need to Keep Herod in Christmas. Let's keep Herod in Christmas. And she says this, 
We need to remember the whole story, not the glossed over airbrush story we love so much. And it's not just with Christmas. We tend to approach the whole Bible this way. We tend to censor and Photoshop and romanticize and sanitize the scriptural narrative so that it makes us feel comfortable, so that it affirms our beliefs. It affirms our understanding of who God is and how God is at work in the world. And it, and it makes sure that, that our understanding of the story of God at work in the world is neat and tidy and makes sense to us. One of the reasons that I subjected you to the lectionary readings this year was to disturb you and confuse you. How many of you felt that from time to time reading the lectionary? I mean, there's a lot of passages in Scripture that are disturbing and confusing. And if you really spend time reading the whole narrative, you're like, what is going on? This doesn't make sense. It's, it's, it's not neat and tidy and clean and clear. It's messy and dirty and confusing and complicated and rather violent. We don't want the R-rated version of the biblical narrative. We prefer our Hallmark movie. <laughs> with a happy Disney ending wrapped up in a bow that we can easily understand and entertain. That's not the story. And the early church said, you've got to remember, yes, Christmas is a beautiful event and we need to celebrate it and feel joyful because Christmas means so much. It means being together with family and lights and candles and, and all that. And that's all important. That's all incredible. But what does Christmas mean in August? What does Christmas really mean to my life and to my friends and family? Well, it's only when we hold it together with the story of the slaughter of the innocents where that meaning begins to become clear. And the first thing it does is it forces us to stay in reality. There's something within human beings that we just, we, are, we resist reality. And it's not just in how we approach the Bible. It's, I mean, with social media. What do we do? We censor and Photoshop our own lives, and we put it out there for the world to see. We're not exposing the reality of our lives. We're exposing the highlights. We're exp or some of us are just constantly exposing the downlights. I'd like you to have pity for me again this week. But it's not reality. We're putting out there what, what confirms and affirms and reinforces what we want other people to think about us and how we want them to respond to us. Humans, we seem to not be hardwired for reality. And this story, well, these two stories of one city, when we hold them together, we're, we're brought back into reality. Because it's not into that tranquil, serene, peaceful, stable that Christ enters the world. It's... It, Jesus enters the real world in all its darkness and its ugliness and its messiness and its chaos and confusion and violence. That's the world Jesus enters. And why is that important? Because unless we are in sync with reality, we are going to miss the advent, the arrival of Christ, the presence of Christ in our midst. We do this in our own lives. Oh, I need to clean up my own life. I need to clean up my act and then... I will experience the presence of Christ. No. Good luck with perfecting your own life. And then you can encounter Christ. Christ enters into the reality of your life and who you are. And when you begin to enter the reality of who you are, the good, the bad, and the ugly, you will find that Christ is present there. 
Same as community. When we think, oh, once we get to that perfect state of community where everyone gets along and nobody's fighting and nobody's having disagreements, or, that is pseudo-community, and it is, it is damaging and destructive because it is an illusion, it is lies. When we become real with who we are together, true community, where we just, hey, this is who we are, and we've got tension, we've got stuff going on, there is Christ in our midst, because Christ doesn't enter fantasy worlds, Christ enters reality. That's the story. That's why we need to hold these stories together. And hopefully it brings us into reality where Christ is waiting to commune with us. One of the interesting things about these two stories is Christ comes first and then the slaughter of the innocents. That's another one of these illusions and fantasies we have is Christ comes and now we don't have to experience slaughter of the innocents anymore. The very next thing that happens after Christ comes, peace on earth, good news, everything's going to be great, 20 children are killed, innocent children. The arrival of Christ, the advent of Christ, doesn't mean we are now protected from all the bad things that happen. That we're now, oh, if I just, if, if I have Christ in my life, if I walk with Christ, if I walk with God, if I am completely obedient, then I'll be protected from harm and illness and sickness and suffering and injustice and evil and death. No. Christ is with you. Slaughter of the innocents is coming. And some of us, some of us, I don't need to convince you of that, Right? Have you ever been, you're in your Christmas season of life, and I don't just mean December, just where everything's going great. You're feeling happy, you're feeling joyful, and you're like, oh no, <laughs> I got no financial problems, no health issues, everybody in my family loves me, everything's going great, something bad's going to happen. Right? Well, that's kind of this, you know, it's Christmas time, slaughter of the innocents is coming. And what this, what this can do is, is it leads to fear. Fear. That's, that's really one of the core issues with us and with all of humanity, all this stuff that's going on in the world. All of this stuff, and it's crazy. It's rooted in fear. All of it. We're afraid. We're afraid of so much. And some of you are thinking, well, if you're rational and perceptive, yeah, we should be afraid. I mean, this whole thing could go up in flames. Fear is not the answer. Fear is not what we receive when we hold these two stories together. I think it was two and a half months ago. I was meeting with someone who has experienced far, far more than their fair share of death in their lives. And they were talking to me about this and and explaining that so many people, they just, they can't handle Death. They don't know what to say about it. They don't know how to interact with it. And, and he said something very profound to me. He said, Troy, there are worse things than death. I don't know why, but that stuck with me. There are worse things than death. And just something about that, I was like, there's a deep, profound truth here that I need to stay with. What is worse than death? And I realized, to live in fear of death is worse than death. To live in fear of rejection is worse than rejection. To live in fear of failure is worse than failure. To live in fear of sickness and suffering is worse than sickness and suffering. 
To live in fear of change is worse than change. Someone asked me, what, what, what difference did this Christmas thing make? You know, the Son of God is born, and Emmanuel, God with us in human flesh. What difference did it really make? And this was an ex-Christian. He said, don't, don't tell me about, you know, the saved are going to go to heaven. What difference did it make here on earth? Peace on earth. Where is it? And my response was this, and I still believe this response. The arrival of Christ, the advent of Christ, did not set me or anyone else free from injustice and evil and sin and suffering and death. But the advent of Christ, the arrival of Christ, has set me free and sets us free from the fear of evil, injustice, suffering, and death. When I am in tune, when I am in tune with Christ, the Spirit of Christ, I am set free. When we hold these two stories together, we are invited into this path, this journey towards freedom, like real freedom, being set free from all this fear. Because, you know, if you spend time in, this, in the biblical narrative, you, you realize that what Christ has set us free from is the power. It doesn't set us free from sin and the consequences of sin and evil and injustice and death. It sets us free from the power of sin over us, the power of evil over us, the power of injustice and death over us. And when we, when we experience that freedom from the power of sin and death and injustice and evil, we no longer fear. And when you are not living in fear of anything, your, your experience and quality of life is very, very different. Have you, have you met anyone, can you think of anyone who kind of operates truly fearlessly? And not in a, not in a pretend bravado way, but true fearlessness. That is what Jesus invites us into. That's what really Christmas is about. The beginning of the church calendar is Advent and Christmas. Like we have started now. We start a little bit early before January. And the whole church calendar is really about walking us through the story of Christ. Inviting us to experience the story of Christ for ourselves. And this is something we often miss. We think we just remember the story of Christ and thank him for what he did for us. That's not enough. That's not even the point. We remember and walk with the story of Christ so that we can experience it in our own lives, right up to the death and resurrection. We must experience our own death and rebirth in order to get this freedom that we are offered, right up to Pentecost. And that's the church calendar. We start and we journey with Christ, but it must become our own journey. That's the step that we often miss. And when we do, and I don't have time to explain exactly how, and I'm not sure that I fully understand, even have the capacity to fully explain how we walk into this freedom, but I've tasted it. And I know many of you have tasted it. Then it tastes good. It tastes very good. All the other stuff that we're striving for all of a sudden doesn't make sense, and it's a beautiful, nonsensical experience. Because you realize everything I have for peace, joy, all the things I really want is already present right here. And here I am chasing all these things, trying to find it. Hmm. 